This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20. When the great state of Texas was still in its infancy, our representatives wanted to write laws that would set apart Sundays from the rest of the week as a day of worship. These are often called blue laws due to the color of paper that they were once printed on. And these laws prohibit specific activities and the sale of certain items on Sundays. About half the states have them. And as you might expect, liquor is a popular target of these regulations. But over time, Texas law books grew and grew to restrict the sale of 42 other categories on Sundays, from cars to curtains. In the July 1984 issue of Texas Monthly Magazine, author Michael Ennis explained, the first Texas blue law prohibited working, drinking, horse racing, gambling, and other heathen practices. That went into effect in 1863. I'm not adding any commentary, I'm just, that's what he wrote. He says that illogical and incomprehensible list grew to make it a crime to sell china plates but not paper ones, illegal to sell screws but not screwdrivers, illegal to buy linoleum but not wallpaper, against the law to buy baby bottles but not beer. I did a little research of my own this week in light of Mr. Ennis's article and found that it is illegal in some cities to this day in the Lone Star State to sell um, Limburger cheese at a Sunday lunch. (laughs) It seems fair to say that our forebears were eager to separate Sundays from the other six days of the weekly calendar. And though a few blue laws remain intact today, most of the convictions regarding Sunday have gone the way of the buffalo. Sunday for many is viewed as a catch-up day for leftover work, a travel day for weekend warriors, an activity day of nonstop sports. After all, well, we're very busy, and the Lord must understand we have a lot of things to accomplish on what's now referred to as Sunday fun day. Over the last four years, the section of our church covenant that sparks the most discussion when our, uh, in our membership covenant that members commit to is this phrase, we agree that we will regularly attend the church's gatherings and faithfully pray for one another. Everybody's okay on faithfully praying for one another, but the question I often get is, well, what does regularly attend mean? My answer Regularly. Well, how often is that, people ask, which I've come to translate that question like this. What is the bare minimum that we have to attend in order to join this church without going through church discipline? I've come to believe that question is likely a symptom of a serious disease. I'm afraid that Christians are spiritually anemic when it comes to understanding and observing and 
enjoying the importance of Christian worship, specifically on the Lord's Day, and its remarkable benefits. Maybe collectively we have this, um, this disease. We have a, a serious worship deficiency. We have a habitual calendar anxiety or a chronic God-forgetfulness. And when it comes to the Sabbath, there are many questions that I know you'll have and it will annoy you because we're not going to get to all of them today. Because the scripture doesn't create new laws in addition to what it says the way that we are prone to. It just says what it says. And we're left to wrestle with the word of God to honor Christ as faithfully as we can. So my prayer is that as we go to the great physician this morning, we will take the prescription of our text And we might enjoy deep rest and relaxation in God. And then I pray as we leave, there will be this longing in our hearts. That we would long for the Lord's day the way that we long for vacation. With a sense of anticipation. Maybe even preparation and joy. The first four commandments are a little instruction manual on Christian worship. Over the last four weeks, we've looked at the object of worship, which is God and God alone, the means of worship, to be a people who worship by the book, the manner of worship, in which we hallow the name. Now we come to learn about the specific time of worship, the Sabbath, or what now we call, because of Christ, the Lord's Day. The fourth commandment teaches the people of God to set aside One day every week for worship and rest. The first blue law was given by God himself to teach his people to trust in their maker, to rest in their redeemer. And we learn from this commandment that we too have been commanded to set aside a specific time to worship the Lord, to rest from our labors, and to remember the saving work of God in our lives. So building on the previous three commands, we now look at the rest of worship. In Exodus chapter 20 and verses 8 through 11, focused on one day a week. That is, first, a holy day of worship. Second, a gifted day of rest. And third, a sacred day of remembrance. Let me invite you, if you would, to stand to your feet as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first truth we learn about the Sabbath is that it is a holy day of worship. We find this in verse 8. You will have already noticed that this is the first command that we've studied so far that stated positively. This is a positive command. 
The first three commands begin with negative language. But this and the one that follows are both stated positively. And I want us to look at this command, at this verse specifically, under the heading of three words. Remember, Sabbath, and holy. Remember, Sabbath, and holy. Once again, the voice of God thunders through the air as he tells the congregation, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, in Scripture, the word remember is more than just to think about something that you already know. For example, when your wife reminds you that your anniversary is approaching, she doesn't want you just to think about the date on the calendar, but schedule a date on the calendar. Guys, I hope you're tracking with this. There's more to this remembrance than just thinking about it. There's action, activity involved. To remember is to recall, but it's also to observe, to practice. Of course, Sabbath was not a new notion to the Israelites. Before it was engraved on a tablet of stone, it was spoken by God in the wilderness. Back in Exodus 16, we learned how God provided for his people through the miraculous provision of manna. Every morning, there was daily food, and every evening, Exodus 16, 18 says, there was nothing left over and no lack. God's provision was perfect. He knew exactly what his people needed. He also gave them special instructions about two days, the sixth and the seventh day of the week. On the sixth day, they were told to go to the fields and gather two days' worth of food, which would be enough both for the sixth day and the seventh. And on the seventh day, they were simply to worship God. They were to not work by gathering food that day, but to rest and worship. Moses had taught them about the Sabbath as their journey to Sinai began. Now as they stand in its shadows, the Lord Almighty calls them to remember the Sabbath day. While it was on the seventh day of the week, the word Sabbath does not mean seventh. The word Sabbath actually means ceasing, to cease. It carries with it the wonderful idea of perfect rest. It's also been called the stop working day, the Sabbath. And it's described by this word, It's a word that's familiar to us as Christians, holy. This is a day that is to be set apart, to be consecrated. While the other days of the week were to be filled with productivity, the seventh day would be set apart as something special. So let's put the whole phrase together. God is telling his people to observe a holy, consecrated day each week where they cease from work and fill their lives with worship. This idea is so central in the life of Israel. Moses describes it four times in the book of Exodus. By the time we arrive at the book of Leviticus, Moses even gives an application to the command. Leviticus 23.3 says, On the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, which we've heard already. But then he adds this, A holy convocation. Now, those of you who are in school still or in education, you have a convocation once a year, right? At least, where you meet together. 
A congregation meant that the congregation would meet to gather for worship, to worship God corporately as his people. It's the very thing that we've come to do this morning. The fourth command is about the worship of God. As we think about that together, let's allow this text to ask some diagnostic questions of our lives. The first one is this. How do you prioritize the worship of God in your life? How do you prioritize the worship of God in your life? We don't have to think too hard about how if the domino of the fourth commandment is pushed, the first three commandments fall as well. Worship itself can become an idol to be served, breaking the second commandment, or done for the glory of our own name, which would break the third commandment. And without proper limitations, it can become the thing that we place first in our lives, breaking the first command. Work can come to dominate the entirety of life and take the place of God. God commands his people to a lifestyle not of continual doing, but also ceasing for the act of worship. Now, most Bible-believing Christians agree that God has still commanded his people to gather one day a week to worship. We find that like in Hebrews 10.24. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But still, the average churchgoer of America attends once or twice a month. Sunday worship is penciled on the calendar if we have nothing else to do. It's squeezed into the margins as long as we have nothing better to do or nowhere else to be, then we go to church. So instead, let me encourage you to write Sunday worship on your calendar with a pen. With a pen. Sunday morning worship should not be a decision you make on Saturday night. It's already been decided. As a redeemed people, as church members, let me encourage you to gather for worship Well, regularly. Well, what does that mean, you might say? Are you preaching this because hunting season's coming up? Are you preaching this because, well, you're here. You didn't go to the early service so you could make the cowboy game at noon. No, none of that. But just regularly. And I'm going to annoy you because I'm not going to prescribe new laws to you at any point during this sermon. But what I'm saying to you is that one day a week should be set aside for the worship of God, to worship Him regularly. The second reality we learn about the Sabbath is that it is a gifted day of rest. We find this in verses 9 through 11. And here we find specific instruction. We don't have to figure this out on our own. God's told us when we should work, when we should rest. And here we find, we don't have time to explore this today, but the Scripture presents a Real work ethic for the people of God. I know enough of you well enough to know that you believe in hard work, working to the glory of God. How we're not to make an idol of our work, but here's one quick caution. We're not to make an idol of leisure either. God has made us for good works, to do good work, to accomplish for his glory. But after six days of hard work, we're told not to work. On the seventh. Verse 10 tells us that the Sabbath mandate is for the benefit of all creatures of our God and King. 
It includes every man, woman, and child. It envelops the entire working population, even the animals, to resist an act of labor. It, it involved not only the people of God, but also foreigners and guests who happened to be moving through town. I love this verse. I, I read it like a conversation. It's like God knows us so well. He knows we're going to read this command, and like children, we're going to want to argue with them. We're going to want to find a workaround to work more. And I imagine one of our ancient fathers saying this in response to the fourth command. Okay, now I hear you said for me not to do any work. And so what I'm going to do is just send my, well, my children out to do some work so we don't fall behind on our work on the farm. And God says, no, let the whole family rest in the work that you did during the week. Okay? Well, what about my servants? What if I just call my workers in for just the afternoon, just a three to four hour shift on the afternoon so they can get ahead for the week to come? We've got a really busy week. Nope. Nope. I want you to consider not just the productivity of your employees, but also the spiritual and physical health. Let them rest. Okay. Well, my livestock then. Nope. Nope. Not that either. Oh, I, I know. How about these sojourners, these people traveling through? They don't even worship you. They don't even love you. How about they worship? And God says, no, I, I actually gave you this rhythm so that they might come to see who I am and come to believe in me as well. So no, don't, don't let them work either. Now, that's been stretched and overreached through periods of church history. But you get the point. These verses, we try to juke them, we try to stiff-arm them, and they just tackle us. The Lord wants to give to his people the gift of rest. And verse 11 roots this command to remember the Sabbath day in the very soil of creation itself. The pattern is six plus one. Six days of work followed by one day of rest. This was the pattern that God himself modeled in the making of all things. The uncreated, inexhaustible, indefatigable God rested. And it's how he means uh, the, his own people to do, to walk in the same pattern. This work week is a reflection of the original work week. One thing that is just striking is the way Moses continues to use this creation theme. We've seen him do this throughout the book of Exodus. Israel's day-to-day -day life is another sort of recreation. God saved Israel to be a new creation community whereby all things would become new. And God gives two reasons for this. The first is located in himself, in the creation ordinance. He gives to his people a rhythm, a divine rhythm of work and rest, of work and rest. Does it seem strange to anyone else that in God's top ten list of commands that he would give his people a day off? Like this is up there with, you know, don't make any gods beside me and don't take my name in vain. 
And isn't it remarkable, all the commentary that God adds to this command? Look how long it is. He could have elaborated on, you shall not lie, or you shall not commit adultery. But he knew there would be something in us, as he gave us this gift, that would want to just push it back. Even with the explanation that he gives here, and even with the positivity of this command, there is something about it that just, well, annoys us. This is why Christians have argued over this for so long. Yet the practice of Sabbath is not a divine suggestion. It is a command. I want you to imagine that you went to the doctor and you said, I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm exhausted. I'm I feel like I'm at the end. My heart won't stop racing. I can't sleep. I don't want to eat. I am so busy. I work 80 plus hours a week. I never have time for myself. And my kids, you should see their schedules. They're more full than my own. I haven't had a meaningful conversation with my spouse in three and a half weeks. I'm exhausted. And God just listens to this. The physician of our souls listens. He writes down on a sheet of paper. You can read his handwriting. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one day a week off. That's a prescription. And we just look right back at him and say, what else do you have? Guys, the Lord has told us the solution to our problem. And we just crinkle up the prescription and say, what else do you have? Many people receive the fourth commandment that way. It's not something that we asked for. Not something that is on our list. Yet it was a gift that our Heavenly Father chose to give us for our good. This is a blessing. A gift that teaches us to depend on Him. The lesson of the Sabbath is total dependence on God. The Sabbath was about the worship of God, but it was also a gracious gift from a loving Father meant to give us rest and refreshing and renewal, things that are not easy to come by in our day. And often when people think about the Lord's Day or the Sabbath, they think, well, what do we have to do? But originally, this day was the opposite of a to-do list. This is literally a not-to-do list. It's wonderful, except for those of you who are very strange and love lists all the time. This is like the no-list day for all of you productive people. The Sabbath was a commanded rest for God's people to be kept. But don't miss this. It was meant to be enjoyed. Joy, your joy, is the end of this command. Collin County is well known as a place of productivity and excelling in business and sports and GTD, getting things done. And part of that is what makes this community so remarkable. But with all these blessings come also, as the hymn writer said, many dangers, toils, and snares. We can easily fill every day of every week with activity, all good activities, that then overwhelm us, wash over us, and drown us because we fail to walk in the biblical rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest. I bet someone in this room this week used a phrase like this. 
I'm exhausted. Or, I am so tired. Or, I wish my schedule had a little more space in it. Or, why do I have to take these children to eight different places eight days a week? We are not high-functioning machines. We are human beings made in the image of our maker. But human, we grow tired and we are wholly dependent. You can't even go 24 hours without needing to sleep. The idea of a church lock-in is absolutely terrible. If you're over the age of 40, there's a 26-day rehab for that. You need rest. You need sleep. I've read this to you before, but one of my favorite quotes on this comes from John Piper. Um, When Jamie and I were just newly wed, we read through his devotional book, Taste and See. And this um, this is from that book. He says, Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep, but Israel will, for we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. It's in us to believe that we are in control and that our work is indispensable. So God has given us the prescription of one day a week to rest. And this is what Sundays do. They remind us that we are not God, that we are not in control, that our work is not indispensable. And God cures us of this disease by ordaining one day in seven where we cease from work, where we rest in the provision that God has given us through the other six days of the week. How humbling is this? How dependent we are. How wonderful this is. This gift from the Lord. Take a day off. Some of you need to go home today and take a nap to the glory of God. <laughs> Throw away your daily checklist for the afternoon. Put away your phone. Put away your phone. Put away your phone. (laughs) To let our strivings cease and our calendars rest. Well, what are you saying? Where's our checklist that we can mark off? I'm not giving you one. But here's the question. What ways can you promote resting one day in seven? What ways can you promote resting? This is a gifted day of rest. The final angle I'd like to show you toward the fourth commandment is it is a sacred day of remembrance. To get a sense of this, we need to turn. We're out of verses here in Exodus 20. So I'd like you to turn in your Bible to the right, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here we find another listing of the Ten Commandments. Yet there's an important nuance that Moses includes... Here in verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, 
and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. What's the addition there? It's this word, remember. Now, you've heard it already, but here it's to remember what God had done. So track with me. In the book of Exodus, Moses connects the Sabbath to the beginning where God formed creation itself. In the book of Deuteronomy, he connects the Sabbath to the beginning of when God formed his people, to the occasion of the Exodus. We've learned that God set his people free from bondage in Egypt, not merely for the sake of freedom, but so that they would be free to worship him and him alone. Similarly, the Sabbath was not given so that God could give his people a day of rest for the sake of rest alone, but for the rest found in acts of worship and remembrance. So in the midst of their worship of God and their practice of rest from work was a remembrance of what God had done for them in choosing them, in redeeming them, in saving them, in going before them, in providing for them in making and keeping covenant with them, that they would be his people and that he would be their God. And while the Israelites were to uniquely remember their redemption from Egypt one day every week, we now remember our redemption from sin. We don't look merely to the story of Exodus. We look to Christ, the true and better Exodus, who brought us out of death through his death, that brought us into resurrection life through his resurrection. Jesus is the fulfillment of the fourth commandment because he perfectly obeyed the law of the Sabbath to keep rest in order to bring rest to his people once and for all. The Apostle Paul tells us that Sabbath was a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. B.B. Warfield gets at the same idea. He says, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought out the Lord's day out of the grave with him on resurrection morn. With the resurrection, Jesus changed everything, including how we relate to the Sabbath. All the shadows and types were fulfilled in him. So what happens is the Sabbath day is renamed the Lord's Day, and it's moved from Saturday, when Jews practiced, to now Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection. By the time the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, he begins in chapter 1, verse 10, and he provides no further explanation. He knows his readers will understand exactly what he means when he writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. It's the first time we hear that language. Paul tells Christians in the book of Corinthians, on the first day of the week, not the last day, the first day, the day of recreation, when they gather together to bring money, to give for the sake of the poor. Um, There's a letter by a guy called Pliny the Younger in 112 who writes a letter to a Roman emperor named Trajan who was an evil man. They were both evil men. But in this letter where Pliny writes to Trajan figuring out how he can... can, um, persecute Christians, we have one of the earliest records outside of the Bible of Christian worship where Pliny says, 
before the sun had, rose, had risen on the first day of the week, Sunday. Christians were gathered, reading the letters of the apostles, praying and singing hymns to Christ as a God. About 20 years later, Justin Martyr, one of the early apologists, also says the same thing, that they're meeting on the Lord's day. And we still call it that today. Not a new Sabbath, not a new law that you and I need to fulfill to stay in God's grace, but a gift of rest, the Lord's day, which he fulfilled and now offers to us to come and find rest in him alone. There's still one more aspect of this remembering. We're to remember by looking backward to the salvation we've been given in Christ, but we also look forward to a future rest. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, So then there remains in the future a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his Do you feel exhausted, restless from trying to earn the approval of God by keeping his law and commands? Are you exhausted from running from God's law and his commands, knowing that if you died today, you would not enter the joy of heaven, but the punishment of hell? When you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, let's look at chapter 11. Verse 28. This applies to those of us who are already in Christ. And this invitation is extended to those of you who are not yet in Christ. You who have not repented of your sin and believed in him. This is the wide-armed invitation of Jesus. Come, To me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your burden is heavy this morning, Run to the arms of Jesus, who says, come, take up your cross, repent of sin, and follow me. And you'll find life, life, eternal life. And to each of us who are his people, that look at the prescription and say, what else do you have? Let's go to the doctor again, the good physician of our souls, and say, hey, that prescription you wrote, we'd like to try that. God gave a Sabbath to his people for them to spend time weekly in worship, in rest, in remembrance. And as the people of God today, the Lord has given us a day of worship, the Lord's Day, where we gather as the redeemed people of God, bought by the blood of Christ. We gather to enjoy the rest that God has provided for us in the completed work of Christ. We gather to enjoy a special meal that symbolizes the Lord's redemption, where we remember the Lord's provision for us in the past, and we anticipate the feast to come, where we'll sing and laugh and dance and tell of all the battles that God has won. 
seated at the table of the king. We have been redeemed that we might experience God's grace every day of our lives. And one day out of seven, we might experience the rest of worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the light that it is to us, how it instructs us, transforms us. I pray that we would, with joy, receive your word, not in trying to earn your approval, but living in light of it. Not keeping the law to keep ourselves in your grace, but as a people who know grace, that we might look to your law at how we now should live. Strengthen us for that work, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.